Good morning. Today's reading is taken from the book of Micah, beginning at chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many nations and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion and from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kinship will come to daughter Jerusalem. Why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your ruler perished? That pain seizes you like that of a woman in labour? Writhe in agony, daughter Zion, like a woman in labour. For now you must leave that city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hooves of bronze. And you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler with the cheek, on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock 
in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to be with you. Uh, We're in uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Micah. We won't cover everything in the chapter, but hopefully we'll get a sense of it this morning. Well, birth is a wonderful miracle, isn't it? But it can also be hard. Our labour was quite difficult with our first daughter. That's a picture of her. But Liz got through it. I don't say we because she did all the work, really. And she did it uh, not once, but again and then again. Why would you do it? (laughs) And why, once you know what's involved, would you keep doing it? It's that, right? Let's have another picture of the baby. They're cute. That's why you do it, right? That expectation that a, a precious child is waiting on the other side. Uh, is there anyone here uh, who's finished their exams for the year? Oh yeah, Mitch has finished. Is there anyone still doing them? Why do you keep doing this to yourself? <laughs> it's so you can finish, right? Because you know at some point they will be over. Imagine an exam period that went forever. That's a special kind of nightmare, isn't it? When you're in a difficult patch of work, how how do you get through? The hope that there'll be a better outcome, right? Hope is powerful. It gives us the strength to endure all kinds of hardship. There's hope in general and there's a distinctly Christian hope. It's a straining forward and eyes kind of scanning the horizon type hope. It's anchored in God's promise of resurrection and an eternal future and in the new creation. Uh, this, this hope has sustained Christians through the ages, through all kinds of fiery trials, to love their neighbours and their enemies and to stay faithful. And this is the kind of hope that God gives his people and the kind of hope he gives us this morning. Well, when Micah prophesied, as we've heard over the past couple of weeks, Judah's back was against the wall Uh, Because of their idolatry, their rapacious greed, their rampant injustice, that meant God's judgement was coming through Assyria and through Babylon. And we heard that bleak story last week. That's the situation in Judah uh, now. Verse 10. Rise in agony, daughter Zion, for now you must leave the city to camp in an open field. Verse 11. But now many nations are gathered against you. 5-1, 5-1, marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. That's the situation now. And as we know from history, Assyria did destroy the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. But by God's mercy, our Judah was delivered. However, their sin was so persistent and so prevalent, their destruction became inevitable. And so soon Judah would be invaded and taken into exile by the Babylonians. 4.10, you will go to Babylon. Jerusalem will be destroyed. You will be scattered among the nations. 
Micah's message to Judah is, your world is about to end and it's your fault and there's nothing you can do about it. Bring back the prophet who promised wine and beer, right? We want to listen to him. Well, that's the now. But the now here is not the end. Uh, Micah's message comes in three cycles. Uh, Condemnation for Judah's disobedience, uh, warnings of impending judgement and destruction, but also a promise of God's deliverance. Three cycles. And we're in the second cycle. And these chapters really are the counterpoint to what happens in chapter 3, chapter 3's judgement oracle. This here is God's promise of deliverance. And it's a hope... uh, of God's deliverance that will give God's people the power to endure what's coming in the exile. So let's have a look at these promises more closely. Uh, Notice that this deliverance isn't the now, right? It's the future. It's uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It's in the last days. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains, it will be exalted above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Uh, the future is a stunning reversal. A stunning reversal. Micah 3.12 says, uh, Now Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem and the temple, that will become a heap of rubble. But then, then there will be a new temple, a new Jerusalem that's lifted high. Uh, last month you might have heard the story in the news about this five-month-old bird, a bar-tailed godwit, I'm told, and it flew 13,560 kilometres in 11 days without stopping. It left Alaska on October the 13th and it landed in northeast Tasmania on October 24th. That's another cool nature story, right? But the story also reminded me of God's fierce love. Judas is great, but God's love, his grace, is so much greater. It's relentless, it's unstoppable. It keeps going and going, even past northeast Tasmania. Martin Luther called uh, judgment God's alien work. His alien work. What he means is that God does not delight in punishment and judgment, but he does it because he is just and he is true. What he delights in is mercy and grace in blessing and that's what he'll do for his people because he's promised it. It's what he'll do no matter what. And God's love and mercy will not stop at Jerusalem. In the last days, verse 2, it will flood into the nations. They will stream back to him in worship and enjoy the goodness of his reign. And then verse 3, he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. Our judgment can mean different things in the scriptures. It can mean like a verdict of condemnation, but it also can mean uh, in the sense of putting things right. It means justice and equity and restoration and healing. And that's what God's judgment means here. In the last days, God's going to put the world back together. God's judgment here is the best news ever. It means, verse 3, global peace. 
They will beat their swords into ploughshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. God's rule means, uh, means that tanks will be turned into tractors. Missiles and mines will be turned into mattocks. That's a garden implement, in case you're wondering. What a precious word this is for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. And world peace won't happen because of humanity, though. It won't happen because we kind of finally wake up to ourselves and turn our back on war and violence and iniquity and greed and disgust. That's not why it's going to happen. No, it's going to happen through divine intervention by the power of God. Micah says he will judge in the last days. God himself will intervene to bring global, complete peace. Uh, Verse 4 of chapter 4 describes what this future peace will look like. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. No one will make them afraid for the Lord Almighty has spoken and when he speaks it will happen. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? It's like sitting in your backyard in the shade by the pool with a cool drink in hand, not a care in the world. It's an image used in 1 Kings 4 to describe God's abundant blessing to Israel at the height of King Solomon's reign. It's a picture of rest, of comfort, of safety, of freedom. Well, they're such precious promises. They're words for God's people to lock up in their hearts as they face invasion and exile. Verse 6, in that day declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away, a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. There's a glorious future for the Lord's people beyond exile and judgment those who are crushed but are still clinging to God's promises in Babylon, my remnant, he calls them in verse 7, to them he says, I will bring you home. I will make you a strong nation. I will be with you, not just for a day or a season or for a decade, but forever and you will be safe. This is where the hope for God People is anchored in his promises in God's future. That's a hope for God's people waiting on the other side of exile. On the other side. It's so important for God's people to understand this, that these promises won't be fulfilled now, but then, in the last days, in the future, on the other side of God's just and righteous judgement. It's important for them to know this because there will be times in Babylon where it feels like God has abandoned them. There will be times when their uh, suffering is so acute 
so painful it will feel like God has turned his face away forever. And in those times they'll need to cling to these promises. That's why the prophet Jeremiah said this to God's people in exile in Lamentations 3, 19-24. I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him and his salvation. Brothers and sisters, we also need to hear and understand this. Because this side of glory, what's true for them is also true for us. We're not facing the same catastrophe. But in a sense, as the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter, we are exiles. We're not home yet. Some of God's promised blessings, yes, we get to experience now. Others will get a glimpse of, a taste of, but others, therefore the then, they're still yet to come. It's important we understand what God promises now and what he promises for then. Because if we expect or demand something from God that he doesn't promise, that can leave us bitter and doubting his faithfulness and love. Well, Israel's hope lies in the future and it also lies in the Messiah, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. Uh, Messiah is the Hebrew word for king. Here Micah prophesies the birth of the Messiah, a child who will become the ruler, the king of Israel. He'll be born in the town of Bethlehem. It's a small town, a backwater really, but it's famous because that's where King David was born. And that's significant because he's the king to whom God promised this. I will establish your house and your kingdom before me forever. This child would be from his line, except this child, when he becomes king, he won't be like the other corrupt kings, the other prophets and and leaders we read about last week. Now he will reign in God's justice and peace and he won't just be a ruler for Israel, his perfect rule will reach the ends of the earth. That's the promise. These are the promises of God. A new future through a new Messiah. And that's where Judah needs to place their ultimate hope for welfare and security. 
in the future and the Messiah. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist and he wrote about suffering and hope and uh, he wrote about it in his book called Man's Search for Meaning and among other things he based his experiences based on uh, living through uh, some of the World War II Auschwitz death camps. And in his book he said this, what is to give light must endure burning. I take it what he means is that the thing that we cling to, the thing that bears our ultimate hope, needs to be able to endure suffering, whatever it is and however it comes. And nothing in the world can bear that weight. Judah learnt that the hard way, right? They put their, their hope in military strength, in political alliances, in material wealth, in idols. But one by one, they all got stripped away in exile. But what do we put our hope in? What does our world put its hope in? Education, progress, a scientific or humanistic solution to every problem. We put our hope in ongoing geopolitical peace, right? But we know that's not guaranteed. A a perpetually rising share market in economic stability and prosperity, our own intellectual ability, employability, our achievements, our reputation. Some of those are good things, but none can bear the ultimate weight of our hope. There's only one place where our hope is completely secure and that's in the promises of God. His future and his Messiah. Well, God did send Judah into exile in 586 BC. That happened. And praise God, he brought them back in 538 BC through the Emperor Cyrus from Persia. And so was that return the fulfilment of Micah's words here? That return from exile? Well, yes, but also no. You see, the promises in Micah were much greater than anything that was realised in historical Israel because when the exiles returned, there was no worldwide glory for Jerusalem, right? The nations were never kind of streaming in Judah was still ruled by foreigners and there was no messianic king. And so as the New Testament opens, Israel is back in the land but really they're still in spiritual exile under Roman occupation waiting God's salvation. That's how the New Testament starts, right? They were waiting for the birth of Jesus. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son. That's 5 verse 3. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will, be, who will, who will shepherd my people. That's not Micah 5 this time. That's Matthew 2. Micah's promises are fulfilled in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his ministry, Jesus gathered the lame, the poor in spirit, and those who are mourning, who are grieving. That's the Beatitudes. He bound their wounds. He healed their hurts. He forgave their sins because he was the Messiah. He announced the arrival of God's kingdom in word and indeed in his ministry he proclaimed the exile has ended. God's tender mercy, his salvation, that's come in me. And at the cross he bore God's judgement of the sin of the exile of Israel, the sin of all humanity in our place. By his blood he brought forgiveness And in his resurrection he ushered in the last days that Micah promised. The beginning of the new creation. Jesus poured out the spirit at Pentecost and Jesus began to gather the nations. They streamed into his church. I don't know if you've read The Lord of the Rings or just seen the movies. If you haven't read it, you should read it. At the end of the Lord of the Rings, when the ring has been destroyed, the great evil has been defeated, the hobbit Sam turns to Gandalf and says, is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes! Yes! That's the promise of Micah fulfilled in Jesus. And when Jesus returns, that uh, uh, new creation will be revealed in all its glory. God's name will be lifted high. The the nations, they will receive the blessing of his wisdom. Everyone will live under their own uh, vine tree, uh, vine and fig tree. Nation will not uh, take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Christ's rule will be perfect peace and everyone safe in his love forever. Sisters and brothers, that's where our ultimate hope is. Sometimes God's word demands action, right? Last week, embrace justice. Other times God's word is a promise for us to believe. And that's God's word for us today. God has blessed us so richly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of that blessing we get to experience now. The Bible says sin puts us in spiritual exile. As Ephesians 2 says... Uh, Sin means we are without hope and without God in the world. But in Jesus we're forgiven, we're reconciled to God, we're his children forever. Verse 13, Now in Christ Jesus you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's a promise, that's a blessing for now. If you're here today and you're in spiritual exile, Come, be gathered. Come receive Jesus' mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. You can come speak to me afterwards or to Nat or to someone else you might know here. There are so many blessings for now, but other blessings we just get a taste, right? Like the sun that's peeking over the horizon at dawn. It's a foretaste of what's to come. Uh, German theologian Helmut Thielicke uh, visited 
a wealthy German industrialist in Stuttgart during World War II. Uh, Because of the Allied bombing, most of his uh, once magnificent house was turned basically to rubble. However, there was one tiny corner of the kitchen that was miraculously untouched. Uh, Tilika's friend took him there to uh, have some morning tea. And there a small table was set up, dazzling white tablecloth, fine china and a single rose flourishing in a vase. That's the kingdom of God now, right? A glimpse of the new creation. A taste of the new age in the ruins of the present one. Now we get to see glimpses of God's healing and his justice. We get to be agents of it as teachers, as surgeons, as GPs, as social workers, as bankers, as advocates, as physicists, as engineers, as gospel workers. But we're not home yet. Not home yet. So some of God's promises, they're still to be fulfilled in the future when Jesus returns and we're raised to eternal life. On that day, all the nations will kneel before God in worship. On that day, all injustice and violence will end. And on that day, the Lord will bind up every wound and heal every heart. He will wipe away tears from all faces and death will be swallowed up forever. There are some amongst us here today who are suffering deeply. I hope those promises are a comfort to you. For others, the fact that we have to wait till then, well, that can be incredibly hard to hear. When I was going through a very difficult time earlier in my life, a good friend, Marg, she sent me a card. Her husband had recently died from cancer. And in the card she wrote this. Let me encourage you both to allow your friends and family to support you any way they can. Hang on to every promise in the Bible and stick them up everywhere to remind you. And that's what I did. Our promises like this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Promises like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. And promises like this. Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. As we wait on God, let me encourage us to encourage and support each other. Let's pray for a powerful hope in these promises until our Saviour and Lord returns.
Let me pray for us now. Loving Father God, we thank you for your precious promises to us. Thank you for your wonderful grace and mercy that means no matter what, you are with us and you have good plans for us. Help us hang on to your promises. Give us faith and the comfort of your spirit as we wait for you to bring us home. Amen.